Let's dive in. We are in part five of our series, The Way. If you've been a part of uh, this series, we've been looking at the ways of Jesus and what it means to follow Jesus in our current cultural moment. Uh, that's why we've called it The Way. Um, this is not a, a phrase we've made up. It came from the book of Acts. Those who followed Christ in the book of Acts were called followers of the way. That came from the book of John when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, so we today are still followers of the way. And we've been looking at what does it mean to follow Christ in our current cultural moment, looking at the life of the early church, the life and the words and teachings of Jesus, of what it means to follow him today. And we're going to wrap up today actually looking at uh, the text that is typically read for a lot of churches today uh, on Palm Sunday. If you are new to church, uh, you may have heard kind of the reference of Palm Sunday, and it comes out of the Gospels um, of the text. It's actually in all four of the Synoptic Gospels where Jesus makes his entry into Jerusalem, uh, riding on a donkey, and uh, in one account, at least of the this uh, narrative, uh, they are waving Palm Palm branches. And the palm branches symbolized victory. Uh, it symbolized that here came King Jesus to bring us freedom of our sin. Aren't you grateful? Uh, so that's what Palm Sunday is all about. That's what it means. And it begins what's called as Holy Week uh, because it is from now until next Sunday, uh, which is Resurrection Sunday. Of course, Good Friday, Jesus gave his life for you and I. And then Resurrection Sunday, he rose again so we could have a new life in Christ. So we're going to look today at the text of the triumphal entry, Luke's account, and, and bring some application of what it means for us. I've entitled today's message, Holy Work. Not to be confused with Holy Week, Holy Work. And here's why, because on that Palm Sunday, on the triumphal entry, Jesus came into Jerusalem to do a holy work, and he has since commissioned us to carry on the holy mission that he lived with. Let's first, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you. It truly is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Uh, Father, we just this morning, we, we just posture our hearts and our spirits and our minds to receive the word you have for us in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Luke 19, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in verse 28, 28, says this, after Jesus has said this, just taught his disciples some things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you. As you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why you're untying it, say the Lord needs it. You can use that when you go to borrow your friend's car that's nicer than yours. If he's like, why do you need it? The Lord needs it. Don't do that. Uh, those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, the owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the coat and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. And when he came near the place where the road goes down to Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began to joyfully praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teachers, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, 
the stones will cry out. If you love the little kind of facts about the scriptures, it's kind of a fun one, is that this is the first time that Jesus not only allowed, but encouraged praises of him. Uh, if you read other accounts before this moment, uh, when they would want to go kind of brag about Jesus, like, hey, he opened my blind eyes. He was like, shh, shh, shh. It's not, the, not quite the time. But he actually, and just to give you context, 450 years, at least 450 years prior to this moment in Zechariah chapter nine, Zechariah prophesied the Messiah would come into Jerusalem in a donkey to do the very thing that God, that Jesus did in this moment. And so he's coming in, so he's fulfilling the prophecy. But then here's why the Pharisees, who many believe were like undercover Christians, uh, which by the way, don't be that. Uh, we're called to be a light. Uh, but they were afraid of the religious elite. So they were kind of undercover Christians, Pharisees, and they were saying, be quiet, tell them to be quiet. Because they knew their, their volume was so loud that the Pharisees who would eventually arrest and crucify Jesus would hear them and this very thing was happening. But I want you to catch this. The reason Jesus encouraged the praises because he wanted the Pharisees to get upset. He wanted them to arrest him and he wanted them to crucify him because he knew he had to die on the cross for the forgiveness of sins of all humanity. That's good news, church. So he's like, they have to be loud. I have to be arrested because I have to die on a cross. Come on, I don't know about you, but our Jesus is so good, isn't he? Come on. I kind of have a little pre-resurrection Sunday feels right now. So they're praising him. They're worshiping him. And then also they say this, peace in heaven, because he was coming to bring everlasting, eternal peace between God and man. That what our sin separated us, and now because of Jesus' broken body and shed blood that we just remembered, and because he rose again, we have now been made right with God. So I wanna share with you that kind of old idea of holy work. That, and just so you know, we all have been called to this holy work. It's not just for pastors or, or missionaries. If you are a follower of Christ, you have been called uh, to the mission of Jesus. For he said in Matthew 28, go forth and make disciples of all nations. That wasn't just for, for those of us who lead in the church. It was for everyone. And I wanna give you three qualities from this text that we are called to embrace as his followers to carry on this holy work. The first two are more internal, personal qualities. The third one is more outward focus. Here's the first quality if you're taking notes. If you're not taking notes, just write this down. It's the word holy. Holy. We are called to be holy. The scripture says the donkey he rode upon had never been ridden. Now to give you context, I don't know if you own a donkey, so if you don't, maybe you don't know this. Uh, if you do own a donkey, please do tell me. That, that's fascinating. Um, they're a workhorse. They're, they're, they are not like these beautiful, elaborate, like if you owned a donkey, it's because he was pulling something. He, he was doing something. So a donkey that had never been ridden was unheard of. Like as soon as they were like, came out, like they were like, we prepared them to work. So here's, this tells us, this donkey was set apart at an early age for this sacred moment. 
In fact, scholars presume when Jesus said to tell them the Lord needs it, it was a trigger phrase. Because if you look back on the text, it says the owners, plural of the donkey. Here's what this also tells us. If it took multiple people to own one donkey, it tells you they were living in poverty. In fact, at that time, in that culture, the majority of people lived in poverty. There was the incredibly wealthy and then the poverty. There was almost no middle class in that culture. So, so in this moment, he goes to these individuals living in poverty, multiple people who owned a donkey, probably overlooked, probably marginalized. And I love the fact that our Jesus all throughout the scriptures constantly called out those who felt rejected and pushed to the margins. And that was the people that God often chose. Aren't you grateful? So he rides on this donkey. <laughs> And this donkey was set apart for this sacred work. And that phrase, the Lord needs it, was a trigger to them saying, this is the time. We know what he needs this donkey for. Now, we as the followers of Christ are also set apart. Jeremiah, let me give you Old Testament and New Testament. Jeremiah uh, chapter 1 verse 5, the Lord says this, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Now that was a truth for Jeremiah, but what's also a truth for us is that we have been set apart. Do you know that God formed you in your mother's womb and that before he formed you, he knew you? In fact, before he formed you, he loved you. Isn't it good news before you ever did anything for God, before you took your first step, before you breathed your first breath, God was saying, I knew you before then and I loved you. He said, I set you apart. That Jeremiah was set apart for a specific purpose and we have been set apart by God for a specific purpose. Let me give you a New Testament. First Peter uh, chapter two, verse nine. He says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of the darkness and into his wonderful light. He says, you are chosen it feels good. Have you ever been chosen before? It feels good to be chosen. I remember the day that Christina said yes to marrying me. Come on, somebody. I felt chosen. Come on, I was walking around a little, like my chin up. Come on, I was like, yeah, I'm the man. What you what, you know? It feels good, right? It feels good when you're chosen for a promotion. Would you agree? I hope it does. Um, it feels good when you're chosen to get into that graduate program. It feels good to be chosen. Can I tell you before God formed you, he chose you. Before you did anything for him, he chose you. The God of the universe chose you. And then Peter uses this phrase, a royal priesthood, because prior to New Testament, there was a divide between those who were the priests or the clergy and the laity. Uh, and just to, be, just to be clear, that divide, if that exists anywhere, that's not New Testament. In fact, if you are a follower of Christ, you are part of the royal priesthood, which means we are all called to a holy work. Yes, there are leaders in the church, but we are all called to the mission of Jesus Christ. And that's what Peter was referencing here. And because we are set apart, we are called to live set apart. We are called to live holy. First uh, Peter, he also says this in, in chapter one, that be, we are called to be holy as God is holy. Now, to free you up, you will never achieve perfect holiness uh, because we are, all we are all fallible. That's why we needed Jesus. But we are called to seek first the kingdom of God in his righteousness, which is holiness. 
And it's actually best for our life to live according to God's right way of living. Peter said this in 1 Peter 1.13, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. That word sober um, does not mean just abstain from drunkenness, although it does include that. It actually means to be self-controlled, to be unpolluted by the world. Paul said this in Romans 12, do not conform to the patterns of the world, but be transformed by the renewal of the mind. John said in 1 John, do not love the world and the things that are in the world. All throughout the scripture, we see this idea of being careful and guarding ourselves against conforming to the cultural norms and mores of the culture. And here's why, because James says this, that all sin eventually leads to destruction. So Peter says we are called to live self-controlled lives. In other words, we are called to submit our appetites, our appetites for wealth and possessions, our appetites for, for power and success, our appetites for all things, sex, food, whatever it is. We are called to surrender our appetites to Christ. Because here is there is danger. In fact, Proverbs says this, that a, a person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. Uh, that actually it's dangerous to live without any sort of governor on our self-control. But I, I've mentioned before, we live in a culture that encourages us to feed our appetites, right? That, that more is always better. Like why stop? And here's what Peter's cautioning us is be careful that you don't live a life without a governor on your appetites. Paul said this way, he said in verse, uh, 1 Corinthians 9, verse 26, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. If I wrote that, I would just say, I do not run, period. Anybody else with me? Come on. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body. Watch this. I make it a slave that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Paul's saying this, I am disciplined. Can I just say this? The moment you think you are not prone to a certain sin, you are actually most susceptible to that sin. The moment you think, oh no, I'm not prone to any kind of sexual morality, is the moment you are actually most prone to sexual morality. The moment you think, man, oh, greed's not an issue for me. I'm good, I don't have any issue with money. It's the moment that you perhaps are most prone. Paul said, I am so disciplined. I am so focused because I am concerned that I don't want in the midst of my preaching and doing great things for God, that I myself become disqualified because I have not put a rein on my appetites. There's a reason the Bible calls it King's stomach. <laughs> And not just referring to eating because it's saying, listen, if we're not careful, if we don't actually have any sort of self-control, we don't surrender our appetites, those appetites will end up leading for us making a bad decision. And one of the gifts that God gives us that helps us is the Holy Spirit. If you're a follower of Christ, the Holy Spirit indwells on the inside of you. And one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is conviction. As I was thinking about the conviction of the Holy Spirit, I was driving a vehicle recently, a rental car, and it has one of those um, on the side of the vehicle. You know, when you, when you get close to another car, it, it blinks and, and beeps. I don't know if your car has that. My car is so old, my signal is I hit you. 
Come on, somebody. Anybody else you have that? It's like, here's how I know I'm too close. Boom. Okay. We're good. Come on. 2012 Honda Pilot. Advanced technology. But it was beeping. Like every time a car kind of got near me, it'd be like, beep, beep, beep. Then it gets close. Like, beep, 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 beep. It keeps getting. Can I say what the Holy Spirit does? Watch this. Write this down. The Holy Spirit will convict you to give you a warning signal that you are on the verge of making a bad decision. It's, it's when you're at that certain place or you're doing that certain thing and there's something on the inside of you that says, I probably shouldn't do this. Maybe I shouldn't be here. It can be as simple as this. You can be, this happened to me recently. Again, I was watching a, a show. It, was like a, it, it wasn't a bad show. It wasn't like a TV mature. It was just a normal show. But there was, a, there was like a scene and I felt the Holy Spirit just say, I just, you shouldn't watch this right now. Can I tell you, when you feel, here's, here's the temptation from the devil. You write this, write this down. I had a conversation yesterday with somebody about this very thing. Is that when you feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit, he wants you to justify, well, this isn't that big of a deal. I'm, I'm not doing anything sinful. Because here's why. The Holy Spirit knows right around that corner, can be a destructive decision. Right around that corner, you're this close to the edge of the cliff. Are you hearing me, church? So you yield to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. When you ever have that feeling in your spirit, like, man, I shouldn't do this, or I shouldn't be here, I shouldn't watch this, maybe I shouldn't have said that, heed the conviction of the Holy Spirit. He is looking out for you. Peter goes on to say this, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. So Peter reminds us of our identity. You are a child of God. And can I say this? Our culture would love to, we are culturally conditioned, if we're not careful, to fall victim to identifying things which we were never called to identify for. That we'll be called to identify with our occupation, right? Can I tell you, you may practice medicine, but you are not identified as a doctor. You are a child of God. Can I get an amen? You're not called to identify by your economic status, by your occupation, by your sexuality. You may have a sexual desire, but that does not define who you are. You are a child of God. And here's the good news. Nothing can change that. Nothing can change his value for you. You can be fired tomorrow from your job. He still loves you. He's still proud of you. He still sees value in you. And the enemy's tactic is he wants you to identify with something temporal, something unstable. So when that very thing changes, the value you place upon yourself changes. Are you hearing me? So our identity is in Christ. And let me hear, he says, as obedient children. You know, I was thinking of our identity. Paul said this in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. The new life has begun. You are a new creation. You know, I was thinking of identity. I was, remember a few years ago hearing a story of, uh, you know, The Rock, a WWE wrestler, a former wrestler rather. Um, and now he's a business person, actor. So he was talking about this, the role he played in the movie Black Adam, a superhero movie. And he said he studied the origins of the Black Adam, the vision of the, the creator had for the Black Adam. 
he read the comic books. He said, because he said, he said, I wanted to identify with Black Adam. And then he shaped his nutrition, his workout schedule, his sleep schedule around this role. In other words, his identity shaped his activity. Here's what Peter says. If you are a follower of Christ, your identity as a follower of Christ, your identity as a child of God is called to shape your activity. As a follower of Christ, I no longer allow myself to be swayed by cultural norms and mores. No, my standard is the word of God. I am not led by my appetites and whatever I feel like doing. I surrender to the spirit of God. The Bible is my standard. The spirit is my guide. And let me just help you. God does not ask for obedience to somehow withhold from you. Actually, the ways of Christ is the very best for you. Can I get an amen? Three of you are with me, okay. And he's saying, listen, I have ways that are life. I have a way to joy, to to peace. But it requires a following of of my way. Church, we are called to be holy. We are called to, to live set apart. The second quality is humble. We're called to live humble. Humble. And yes, all three points start with H because I have a disorder called preacher. And if I can get all of the points to have the same letter, I just feel amazing. I don't know why. So when it works out, I get excited. So what's intriguing was, so even some of those that were shouting Hosanna, which means save us now, they were shouting them as Jesus was coming into Jerusalem. Now, some of those who were shouting save us now eventually shouted on Friday, crucify him. Here's why. They thought that Jesus was coming as a political king to overthrow the evil empire. They were putting their hope in that. So they were saying, come on, Jesus, Hosanna, overthrow Caesar, because the Roman Empire were oppressing the Jewish people. But then five days later, when they realized, oh, he about to die, (laughs) crucify him. He didn't come to, to free us. They were looking for temporal relief. And may I submit to you, culturally speaking, if we're not careful, we can look to political leaders for relief they could never give us. And they were upset. We want temporal relief. We want a new leader. And Jesus is saying, I'm not called to free you of Caesar. I'm called to free you of your sin. I didn't come to rob power from Rome. I came to rob death. (laughs) But they misperceived him. They thought he was coming as a political leader. Can Can I submit to you if we're not careful? We can misperceive God's blessing because it did not come in the package we were expecting. They were expecting a political leader and they got a savior and they actually missed it. Now throughout all of history, they're part of the chorus that yelled crucify him. And be careful in our own life. Now I was reminded about two years into our marriage, Christina and I, Come on, married people, you know after about year one, year two, that's when you start getting really honest with each other. Come on, somebody, right? That first year, you're like, all right, we're gonna kind of take it easy, make sure don't rock the boat, right? And year two, I remember she told me, she said, you know, um, before I met you, she, she traveled for, for 
several years, just around the world, just traveled a lot. And uh, she said, I thought I would marry somebody in my travels, somebody who's, you know, outside of the uh, United States, somebody internationally. She said, but then I met you. I was like, and your life is better because of it. Come on. So I like to call this make-believe man International Ivan. International Ivan from Italy, three eyes. I feel good, I feel good. The Lord is on this. International Ivan from Italy. If your name is Ivan and you are from Italy, please come meet me. Because I stole your girl. Come on, somebody. That's right. What? She thought she wanted International Ivan from Italy. But she got domestic Danny from Maryland. Come on, somebody. Or like where I'm from, Maryland. Come on, anybody else where I'm from? I'm from Maryland. You kind of drop the Y sometimes. Crab cakes and football, what? Obey on everything, what? That's how you know you're from Maryland originally, right? It's like, what, chicken? Obey. French fries? Obey. Eggs? Obey. Come on, right? Obey is like, it's like magic. It's like dust from heaven. I don't even know what's in it, but it's amazing. I wasn't in my notes, but I got, it's getting close to lunchtime, so we're just going to obey. Um, she, she, she thought she wanted an international Ivan. Listen, international Ivan would have taken her around the world. But domestic Danny cooks dinner five nights a week. Come on, somebody. Domestic Danny does the dishes. And domestic Danny, on occasion, bathes the kids. Come on, somebody. I've got to keep it real. Not often, but sometimes. <sighs> Can I tell you, listen, listen, be careful you don't miss God because he came in a manner you didn't want. He came in a way that you're like, I don't know about that, God. Can I say this? Sometimes God actually answers your question with an instruction. You say, God, bless me financially. Get on a budget. (laughs) I've already blessed you, but you spend too much. (laughs) Cut up the credit card. (laughs) God, bless my marriage. Be more kind to your wife and help out at home. Right? I'm helping somebody right now. Don't nudge your husband. I see it. Are you hearing me, though? Listen, and God, oftentimes, not all the time, but oftentimes, he will not do for you what you can do for yourself. So sometimes what we ask God for, he's already done for us. We just have to do it. But then he, he came in his donkey. Now, listen, again, they were expecting a, a political king to overthrow Rome. Now, triumphal entries, these entries into cities, very common political leaders would ride on horses into cities. They would. Caesar, uh, they, they, would, they would come in. But they would often come on like a, a war horse, a stallion, right? Now, you think if you were in like, if you were responsible for Jesus' brand, and you gotta care about your brand, right? Come on, it's 2023. Like, if you were responsible for the brand of Jesus, you'd be like, hey, hey, Jesus, Jesus. So I know you're kind of working this whole king of kings thing. I don't think you should ride a donkey, bro. That won't come across good on IG. (laughs) How many know he's a different kind of king? That he came as as a humble servant. That he came to lay his life down. 
and he rode a donkey. Like, ain't nobody ride a donkey. He's riding a donkey. It reminds me of what Paul said in Corinthians. He said this, 1 Corinthians 1, 27. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world, the despised things, the donkeys, the things that are not to nullify the things that are. Watch this. So that no one may boast before him. May I encourage you today that God chooses the fullest things of the world to confound the wise. Here's what the enemy would love nothing more. The enemy would love nothing more than for you to focus on your weaknesses, where you don't measure up, your insecurities, because then you think to yourself, well, I can't step into that purpose. I can't be obedient to that word, God. Do you know who I am? Do you know what I lack? May I remind you, God calls the foolish things. God calls you in your foolishness to shame the wise so that you may boast in him. What did Paul say? I boast all the more in my weakness because when I am weak, he is strong. Can I encourage your, your spirit today? Let, let me remind you of some of the biblical characters we look to. God called an overlooked shepherd boy. Mind you, he was his father's least favorite. We know this. It's documented in the Bible. Named David to be the king of Israel. And from his line came Jesus. God called a Jewish woman, Esther, to be the queen of Persia who would free her people from slavery. God called an uneducated fisherman. Come on, on a side note, you know you're uneducated when the eternal word of God calls you unschooled. Come on, somebody. I kind of feel bad for Peter. I want to get to heaven back, Peter. I'm sorry. But an unschooled fisherman, Peter, to lead the church. He called Paul, an expert in Jewish law. Hey, brother, go reach the Gentiles. And here's the biggest one. He called a carpenter from Nazareth, Jesus, to save the world. You know what it says in the Bible? People say, nothing good comes from Nazareth. Church, he calls the foolish things to confound the wise. So can I encourage you today? Maybe what God's calling you to seems foolish. Maybe God's calling you to launch that business and you've given God the excuse that I don't have business training. But can I encourage you? He calls you into the foolish things. Can I encourage you? If he called you into something you could do all by yourself, then he would get no glory. He would not be able to demonstrate his power. If your life completely made sense and you could do it without God, then his power is not perfected in you. But when he calls you into something, you feel weak, you feel uncomfortable, qualified, you feel insecure to do. He's like, that is where I want you. Because when he calls you to do something foolish, watch this, write this down. I don't see you writing it down. I'll wait. Listen, when you are called to do something foolish, it increases your dependence. And that's where he wants you. I've told you before, but I believe as a follower of Christ, your life shouldn't make sense. If you can look at my life and say, oh yeah, that's right, Jeremy, yeah, he's that smart. Oh yeah, he's that good. But can I tell you, if you look at my life, if you knew me, like, there's no way Jeremy should be doing what he's doing, married to who he's supposed to be mar married to, who he's married to, and the life he has. And I believe that's a calling for every believer because he calls the foolish things that confound the wise. It's in our weakness.
This is power. It's perfected. The dependence is a product of humility. Peter said this in 1 Peter 5, 6, humble yourself under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. You know, humility is essentially saying this, God, I'm going to trust your way more than I trust my way. Proverbs 3 says this way, verse five, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. I don't have any honest people in the church this morning, but anybody else, you would just say, man, sometimes you struggle with trusting God. I know I do at times. Here's what I can be, I can be guilty of. Here's how I call it. I call it half-hearted trust. That it's almost like I, I trust God, but like only halfway. It's like, hey God, why don't I go half in, you go half in. But can I just, man, as your pastor, gently, but, but directly, half-hearted trust is actually mistrust. Because we're, we're saying, I, I don't know if I can fully trust you, God. Now, if you have breath in your lungs, there's probably some area of your life you have a hard time trusting God. I, I have found in my own life, and I have found in my years of pastoring. Maybe for you, you trust God in your relationships, but you don't trust God with your money. And here's how you know you don't trust God in something. You can write this down. You're not obedient to his word in that very area. So that's how you know I'm not trusting you. Because you know it, but you're not doing it because you don't fully trust him. And here's my encouragement to you. And maybe it can be situation by situation. Maybe you trust him with that situation at work with your coworker, but you're having a hard time trusting him with that situation with your spouse. Or maybe it's, it's, it's the other way around. But the Bible says when you trust God with, with all of your heart, and this is the hard part for a lot of us, at least for me, and you lean not in your own understanding. Here's how my understanding gets in the way. That sometimes when I'll, I'll whether it's, it's the word of God or I'll feel the Holy Spirit leading me to do something, if I cannot fully comprehend it or make sense of it, I have a hard time trusting him with it. But can I encourage you? If all the times you obey God is only when they made sense, you're probably missing more than half of it. Because the scriptures say his ways are above our ways. So sometimes you'll be asked to trust God and say, man, I don't fully under, I don't fully know how this is gonna work out, but here's what I go back to. I do not know how this will work out, but I know the one who's leading me to do it. And we go back to his nature. And the Bible says, he will make your path straight. That literally translates in the Hebrew, he will remove every obstacle in your way when you trust him. Can I ask you this? We probably all have an area, so don't feel condemned. But where's the area for you? What's that area you're having a hard time trusting God? Maybe even this week, say, God, help me to trust you. I wanna trust you with all of my heart. Maybe tell a friend, hey, help me. Can you hold me responsible? I'm having a hard time trusting God in this area of my life. That we trust God. Jeremiah says this, that blessed is the one, Jeremiah 17, seven, who trusts in the Lord, they will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when he comes. The leaves are always green. It has no worries in years of drought and it never fails to bear fruit. That when we trust in God, there's actually, there's actually a, a protective blessing over our life. 
that this whole idea of blessing, and you know, scripturally speaking, this whole idea of blessing and prosperity, and the word prosperity in the Hebrew simply means God's hands upon you. It doesn't mean that if you obey God, he'll get you a new car tomorrow. Come on, somebody. In fact, you know what? You know where God, scripturally speaking, wants to prosper you the most? Is your soul. And here's how he wants to prosper you. He wants to prosper your soul so even in the midst of that stressful situation at work, you have peace. Even in the midst of that disappointing season at home, you have joy. That's how he wants to prosper you the most. Because that's a prosperity, watch this, that nobody and nothing can take from you, that he wants to give you. But you gotta be humble. Here's the third and final point. So holy, humble, I'm gonna explain this one. A harvest worker, harvest worker. This same donkey that he rode upon was carrying Jesus in to fulfill his purpose, to save and rescue lost humanity, you and me. And he has given us that same commission to make disciples of all nations. Mark 16, preach the gospel to all creation. In fact, Matthew 9, he said this to his disciples. He's saying this today to you and me. The harvest is plentiful, he says, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send workers into his harvest field. Now, I'm not a farmer, but from what I understand, when it's harvest season, you just need hands to pull it, right? To reap it. And here's what he says. Spiritually speaking, he says, the harvest is plentiful, meaning people are open to the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, but, but we need workers. I, I need people to tell them about the good news of Jesus Christ. And now maybe you're thinking, because I've had this thought, well, the harvest is plentiful doesn't apply today, right? Because, you know, in some ways, the world around us is opposed to the ways of Jesus. And I would say in some ways it is. We know what I know. Our human condition, I, I believe this firmly, at a psycho, psychological soul level, that every person desires a peace beyond all comprehension. And we know who gives it. Every person would love to have everlasting joy. And we know the one who gives it. Everyone would love to have hope regardless of the situation. In church, the Bible says we have an anchor in Jesus for our hope. So here's what I would say today, and let me give you some statistics. I checked them this week to get some updated ones. In the Washington metropolitan area where we live, 56% of people have not yet found hope in Jesus Christ. That is 3.56 million people in this area. Can I tell you, there is, there, like, that's why in this area, we need more churches preaching the good news of Jesus. Can I get an amen? That's why we sow into churches that are, we, we need more. Watch this, in Montgomery County, the county we're in right now, 80% of people have not professed Jesus Christ as their savior. Eight out of 10. Eight out of 10 don't have peace beyond God comprehension. Eight out of 10 don't have everlasting joy. Can I tell you, this is why Jesus called us as a church to go and make disciples. That we're not called to be comfortable. Well, I'm good, God. He said, I came to seek and save those who are lost, 
Those who need this peace. Those who need my joy. He said this, I came so your joy would be complete. That means 80%, which in our county is over 800,000 people, do not have complete joy. The harvest is plentiful. I remember in 2021, two years ago, back when retail stores were reopening, I was in Pike and Rose in North Bethesda and I walked by the store and they had a sign on the front door and it said that they were um, closed on Monday and Thursday, help wanted. Do you remember back when the pandemic, like stores and restaurants were reopening, they had a hard time staffing. Now, some of you are small business owners, You're, you've, you felt that. Like people were wanting to come out to eat, but they didn't have any wait staff. People wanted to go shop, but they didn't have any cashiers. Can I tell you, I believe this scripture, Matthew 9, Jesus is standing before us today with a sign that says, help wanted. He's saying, there are people who want my peace. There are people who want my joy. I just need workers. So what does it mean to be a worker? I'm gonna close with this. Number one is we pray. God is the one who saves. God is the one who changes heart. Paul said this in 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who do not believe. Watch this. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. Satan has blinded people's minds. You know, I think there's, there's, there's two, there's probably more, but two that I thought of that I think blinds people. Number one is religion. I've had some people tell me this, Jeremy, I'll come back to God when I fix my life up. Can I encourage you? God knew you would come without being fixed up. God knew you'd show up to the meeting without reading the agenda. Come on, somebody. God knew you came ill-prepared. And that's okay. So can I encourage someone in this room? You don't have to have a cleaned up life. You can still be working out some stuff. The second, I think, is, is there's, there's, there's some cultural ideology that, that somehow paints Christ and Christianity, which by the way, if they paint Christianity this way, they're painting Christ this way, as judgmental or hateful. Can I tell you, a man who died on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins, the last thing he feels is hate towards you. He feels an everlasting love. So pray for the people in your life. God, God, Remove the blinders off their eyes so they can see Jesus for who he truly is. Secondly, share your faith. Mark 16, 15. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. You might say, pastor, that's for you. No, he says it's to all disciples. You know, your preaching might look different. Doesn't mean you have to have a three-point sermon at work tomorrow. In fact, you probably shouldn't. Uh, doesn't mean you have to learn how to exegete scripture tomorrow. But we are called to share our faith. Here's what I found. I'll speak to three hindrances that I have personally thought at one point or another and people I've talked to as well. Number one is sometimes we don't share our faith because we think to ourselves, even though I know Christ, I still have issues. Have you ever been there before? Where you felt like, I'm not good enough. Like what if they find out I can be a little brash or angry? <laughs> or what if they find out about this issue I have? Can I just encourage you? God's not asking for your perfection. He's asking for your availability. Or maybe you feel like, well, I'm not, I'm not prepared enough. I need to take a class or like I need to learn how to apologetics, which that's great. But if you look in the scriptures, 
Do you know how oftentimes somebody would actually tell others about Jesus? I once was blind and now I see. <laughs> I once was riddled with unending anxiety and now I have peace. I once had this addiction or this sin that I kept falling back into and now I'm free. My marriage was once on the ropes and now we're reconciled. It's your story. It's your story. Share your faith. And lastly is this. Sometimes, at least I've been there, maybe not you. We can fear rejection. Well, what will they think of me? What if I share my faith and they then distance themselves from me because I was open about my faith? And can I just say this lovingly? Here's why you should risk rejection. Here's why I should risk rejection. Because Christ was rejected for you. Doesn't mean that we kind of force it down people's throats. But man, you, and here, here's what it can look like. Somebody can ask you, hey, how do you, how do you maintain your peace with all this stress at work? Man, to be honest with you, I don't know if I'd have peace if it wasn't for my, my relationship with God. Or they ask you, how is your marriage healthy? Like, how do you and your wife keep loving each other? To be honest, I don't know if we would be together if it wasn't for Christ. And you don't have to make something up. Just be real. Whatever God's done in your life, just share that. I love what Luke 15, 17 says. My last scripture. Jesus said, there's more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. That he, heaven literally throws a party every time someone comes to faith in Christ. And we are called to live a life that causes heaven to party. That people coming back to faith in Jesus. Some of you have heard this. I'm gonna share it and I'm gonna pray for us. I'm passionate about this week coming up. I'm very passionate because my journey back to faith in Jesus Christ began with an Easter invitation. Uh, and this, this statistically is the week that most people are most open to faith in Jesus, this week, more than any other week. And I was walking home from a bar on a Saturday night. I had a roommate who was bold enough to invite drunk Jeremy <laughs> to say, hey, would you sit with me in church tomorrow? And I told him no. I said, no, I'm not going. I said, I'm never going to church again. I said this last week, but I didn't like church people. Uh, if you don't like church people, welcome. We're not church people. Come on, somebody. We're followers of the way. I woke up the next morning. I went to church, but three months later, three months later, he invited me again to his church. I went to his church and I heard the good news of Jesus Christ. Can I tell you, I don't think I would be your pastor today if it wasn't for Travis's invitation. I probably wouldn't be married to Christina if it wasn't for Travis's invitation. So can I implore you on behalf of the people who are in your life, who are where I once was, to be bold enough, to be courageous enough, to be prayed up enough this week to say, hey, would you just come sit with me this Sunday? I'd love for you to see my church. Come on, I'll buy you Easter brunch. Come on, somebody. In all sincerity though, church, heaven and hell are real. And Jesus came to rescue humanity from the penalty of their sin. And we are called to carry on this mission to preach the gospel to all creation. Amen? Bow your heads with me, church.